Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once again for this morning for a new life that you've given us. Thank you that each new day is a new opportunity to, to serve you, Lord Jesus. We pray today as we learn, as we look at uh, different ways, different approaches, different ideas to help us to reach the world next door to us. We pray that you give us wisdom, clear minds, and understanding so that we can put into practice what we will hear here so that we can tell more people about Jesus so that you can come very, very soon, Lord Jesus. Bless us this day and be with the presenters and may you guide their thoughts and their words. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Yeah, I am uh, I'm S.B. Ngai-Chen from Burma. I'm working at... Uh, uh, working in uh, Advent, uh, Grand Rapids, uh, Adventist, uh, Zomi Adventist uh, um, company. Okay, um, today I would like to thank God, and also I would like to thank uh, Pastor Singh and, uh, and uh, um, the SAP ministry, and they... Um, allow me to uh, present uh, to do a presentation. Okay, <clears throat> so uh, let me share about me. Um, I served uh, the Lord as a uh, school principal and a church pastor for ten years in Burma uh, with a uh, um, mission. Uh, I think mission conference. Yeah. And also a pastor again for the Zomi Adventist uh, uh, refugees in Malaysia for two years, and uh, I'm currently work at a wire company uh, as um, <clears throat> well overseeing the uh, Grand Rapids Myanmar SDA company and Barrowkick SDA group as a lay pastor. <clears throat> so <clears throat> we are Zomi, so you can pronounce uh, uh, underneath uh, Zomi. So, <clears throat> so the Zomi <clears throat> mm. Zomi means that a uh, hill people, and uh, it is one of the minority ethnic group in. Uh, Myanmar, uh, also known as the Burma. Then uh, Zomi people speak Tadim language. We call uh, we call uh, we, um, we we say that Zopao. So <clears throat> um, Zomi people uh, seeking refugee in U.S. Uh, primary in the last 10 years ago. So uh, because of the uh, ja ruling gender due to um, religious and um, racial persecution, um, many have come from the uh, refugee camps from like, uh, Thailand, Malaysia, and India. and are seeking a new life here in USA uh, and Australia, some other countries in Europe. So the population of Zomi is estimated um, 0.5 million in the world, but uh, 20,000 in the USA right now. <clears throat> And the seven Adventists came to the, our Chin State in 1950s. <clears throat> Since then, uh, we are the second largest people group in the Adventist Church in Burma <clears throat> until today. So, <clears throat> uh, in USA, our Zomi Adventist members are like this in Atlanta. One one hundred and twenty something like uh, you can see um, down. See all on the uh, on the table, but um, 
we have over uh, thousands total memberships in U.S. and two organized churches and three organized uh, company and uh, four mission groups and uh, uh, ten future groups and a full-time one full-time pastor and a ten future uh, sorry five part-time pastor uh, paid by their conference and eleven lay pastor. So in Grand Rapids, um, um, in 2011, before my family arrived in USA, uh, some Zomi Adventists uh, started their Sabbath school lessons, um, going um, attending at the Wyoming Church as their church, and. Uh, in 2012, uh, my family arrived in USA, and our first Vesper service um, uh, started with 22 people, membership, I mean. Then our, our group grew, grown up, and uh, in 2014, uh, begin with our, <clears throat> begin our first uh, device service and uh, Adventist youth programs at Wyoming Church. Um, until that time, we we were worshiping with uh, English speaking uh, Caucasian church, though <clears throat> though many of us uh, understand no English. So, which led us to worshiping in our God-giving language. <clears throat> then, uh, in 2015, we, um, I started with uh, working with Battle Creek uh, group. And in Battle Creek group, we have um, 70, around 75 and uh, um, 80 Mem uh, Adventist members, <clears throat> many of them are uh, needing uh, need uh, nurturing of faith uh, because uh, they are working on Sabbath. <clears throat> it, that is a big um, issue for them. <clears throat> so and. As a group, we have been uh, having combined worship uh, in <clears throat> summer and fall seasons. Uh, once in a once in a month, um, encourage each other in faith. <clears throat> so this is the better group, uh, youth group that. Um, last last week we had <clears throat> combined worship, and they sang uh, us um, <clears throat> prayer. And, uh, so this summer I'm planning to give Bible study to the these young people during their summer holiday. <clears throat> Then also, I would like to share that um, one pastor in a barricade, um, uh, a Baptist pastor, um, he wanted to know about the rapture. So uh, I may have a um, Bible star with him too. <clears throat> so uh, in 2016, January, uh, the Grand Rapids Zomi Adventist group started uh, renting the Mattery Church uh, because of the <clears throat> because of the um, <clears throat> language barrier. Um, we we need uh, we need to <clears throat> separate from the uh, Wyoming Church. And May twenty one. We were organized as a company by the Con Michigan Conference. 
um, and also that um, now we we are called Adventist uh, Grand Rapids Myanmar SDA Company uh, because uh, <coughs> we need um, since we want to we want to reach out to the other ethnic group apart from the Zomi so that we change our name uh, instead of Zomi into the Myanmar. <clears throat> so our community outreach is a Christ method, uh, like Bible study, a home visit, a small group, and a Myanmar community service services. <clears throat> you said that you're going to have all the other groups from Myanmar that can meet with you. Do they speak the same language or is it totally different? That are not non zomi Non-Zomi. Oh, we we can uh, we can speak um uh, uh com uh what what is it uh, common language yeah Burmese we can speak with uh, each other with uh, Burmese language here. Okay. <clears throat> so. <clears throat> We had Bible study with our uh, young group, and then in 2017, oh sorry, in 2013, we had uh, two baptism on 14, 2014, four people, and 2015, one that that was in Battle Cave, and uh, he he is from um, what is that? From Jehovah Witness. So he um, converted from Jehovah Witness. Then in 2017, seven people baptized. So <clears throat> in, um, we try to visit that, uh, my, our church members at least uh, once, uh, once a month. And, uh, and also non-Adventist too. <clears throat> and about two years ago, the village, uh, two, three years ago, the village church, uh, vill village, village church, Alitin Sabbath School uh, in Barrowkick came for uh, interculture ministry experience. So they came and uh, share uh, some um, some foods and some present uh, for the <clears throat> refugees. And before that, um, the uh, SFB ministry also came every year uh, along with the um, Andrew University students. And also they share um, foods and then uh, presents for the Christmas. Uh, <clears throat> to the uh, the recent coming, uh, I mean, uh, the refugees uh, for the new refugee. So we, we have um, small group in January 2017. We started with two groups. As, as of the, uh, September 2017, we had four groups that meet every, every week. Then our, now we, uh, we are planning more groups uh, to be um, working with. So, <clears throat> and also we have MCS. MCS means that um, Myanmar Community Service. So MCS working <clears throat> with the communities around um, around us, like um, Kachin, Goren, and uh, the other Chin ethnic groups. We are Zomi. The other groups are like Falam, uh, Hakka. Um, and Matupi, something like. So <clears throat> the community services <clears throat> uh, give out 
uh, interpreting transportations and uh, application for the um, application of what um, what they need is that um, DSS uh, DSS uh, like food stamp and uh, Medicaid and the MCS uh, conduct language classes in summer and uh, sheer clothing, shoes, utensils, and foods. And also we have um, MCS newsletter. Uh, we, uh, we contributed um, twice a month. So this is the um, the MCS, the MCS uh, summer classes in, included uh, Zomi, uh, Zolai, it's uh, Zomi language, uh, learning Zomi language and Burmese language and music and uh, ESL for adults. So this is the graduation picture. So for us, the challenges is very dif difficult to, to have constant appointment with the families like um, Bible study and also uh, giving um, lesson for the languages, uh, studying languages and uh, also distinction between the denomination like um, uh, when we, we want to um, invite them to our worship program, uh, they don't want to come. So that is a distinction between the, uh, the den denomination. So our Zomi people are Christian distinction between the denominations are building walls. So most of <clears throat> the other denominations have their full-time pastor, so they, and also their, <clears throat> they have their own caseworker, they hire them and uh, um, the pastor help them in their social issues. Uh, <clears throat> then also most of the church elders feel, the church elders, I mean our church elder, they feel that um, like <clears throat> going church is, going to church every Sabbath is enough for them. So that's why we, we cannot um, reach out uh, people around us. So that is all those are our challenges. So, <clears throat> so I, we are using that uh, to reach out to our community, like home visiting, a small group, and a Bible study, and a social work, and a friendship with them, and a prayer, and literature. Yes. I have a question on your previous slide. You said that the elders feel that going to the church on Sabbath is enough. Mm -hmm. are, are you talking about the pastors feel that, or the elders feel that it's enough for them to go to church, or the people that you're inviting? Uh, our, our own church elders. They feel that. Yeah, they feel like. Uh, they have too much to do or they have enough work. Who's being an elder? Is that. No, I mean that um, they, they are not uh, having idea to do um, visiting outside for their ministry. So they feel like uh, just uh, going to church. Is enough for uh, min yeah, me for the ministry. <laughs> yeah. Any other question? Yeah, I question uh, several slides back. I saw the word applications. I see oh. those refugee applications. Oh, that that was that. Um, all of us, uh, almost all of us, cannot reach cannot read uh, English, cannot write English, so they don't know how to fill out their 
uh, yeah, for the job or for the, uh, for the um, medical assistant to apply for, to the DHS. Yeah. Okay, thank you so much for giving up. Thank you so much, Pastor Sang, and thank you, Pastor Ngai Jin, for coming and for sharing. Um, <clears throat> it's not easy coming from another country. You yourself are over your head in things you need to do to help your family get settled, to learn the language, to find a job, to support your family. Um, that's way more than a full-time job right there. <laughs> and then, but people who have been pastors, they, they have a shepherd's heart, and they, no matter how busy they personally are, they just cannot bear to just leave the sheep to scatter and get lost in the shuffle, like has happened, sadly, for many of the refugees that came the Southeast Asian refugees that came from beginning in 1975 uh, from Southeast Asia up into the 90s. Right now in Milwaukee, we're facing a challenge um, in that refugees, some of which came as Adventists, came from strong Adventist families over in Thailand. When they came to Milwaukee, there was no Adventist church in their language. And they weren't fluent enough in English to gain a blessing from an English service. And this is something that was new to me. I didn't realize that just because a person can have a, it can, can hold a good conversation with you in English does not necessarily mean they can gain a blessing from an English church service. When I was working in California, I worked as an employment service worker for a while just bef um, before and when I was newly married for a government-funded organization helping refugees find jobs. The man who trained me and the best, the top man in the office was Mong. He was the one that trained me and he was professional. He, he was able to prepare the refugees for their job interviews, and he was able to speak intelligently with the, with the employers and let them know the, the reasons why they should employ these refugees. Um, he was not a Christian, and he was a traditional Hmong animist, and there were some Christians in the office, some Russian Christians, and there was a Thai Christian <laughs> secretary, and a Vietnamese Christian director. There were many Christians in the office, and they used to get in arguments with Sai. Sai Vang was his name. And I remember one day, and, and I, I realized that what he needed was to see Christianity in action, not to, for someone to argue with him about it. And so I pray, Lord, Please live your life through me. Help me to, to live a life of a true Christian. And so he got so that, I mean, everyone knew I was a Christian, but I wasn't loud and vocal about it. And pretty soon after his arguments with the others in the office, he'd come quietly to my office and he'd say, you know, so-and-so says such and such about the Bible. Is that what the Bible really says? So-and-so says this, but is, is that true? And he would start to ask me these questions. I remember one time they had a big argument in the office, and one of the Christians there said, he was a young, young Christian, <laughs> eager to share his faith, and he told Sai, you need God, and Sai said, I do not need God. <laughs> but still, he would come to my office and ask questions. One day he came to the office, and he said, I think I might become a Christian. And he did. And he is now the head elder of our Hmong church in Sacramento. Long story, but he told me something that opened my eyes. He said, 
I, when I listen to an, a sermon in English, I don't even have the slightest idea what they're talking about. I don't even know how to ask my spiritual questions in English. And I looked at him and I thought, wow, he's a professional man. I can talk to him about anything. But when you stop to think of it, ESL classes don't necessarily teach religious vocabulary. And so if it, you may have heard people say, well, they're in America. They need to learn English now. Let me tell you, I have never met a refugee who wasn't in earnest about learning English to the best of their ability. But it takes time, especially when you, you have a family and all day you have to be working for a living and taking care of your children. It's a rat race. I learned Thai and Lao. Oh, I speak Lao with a Thai accent. <laughs> That's your saying, I can tell you. Um, I, I can now do real well, pretty well in Hmong as well. I've done court interpreting in these three languages. But I still have not gotten to the point where I can really get the biggest blessing from my devotions in any of those languages. If you think about it, when we... When we go to other countries, I just recently was talking to um, a mission a leader, leader in, in missions, and he said, one big challenge we have is the need for, we need to mentor our missionaries, because you don't just go to another country even when you're dedicated to reaching that language group. It's not immediately that you can, that your relationship with God, that, that that language, your second or third language, is your first choice for your personal relationship with God. And the same is true as refugees. They are eager to learn, learn English. But if we wait till they learn English well enough to get a blessing from our English church services, we may be waiting forever. We will long since have lost them. So they need, when they first arrive, they need nurturing in their own language, which is why I'm, I really appreciate what Pastor Sang said is uh, it, uh, to, to work through the key people. There was um, a minister of music in New York <laughs> that... Um, actually, he, he was a Seventh-day Adventist, but as a musician, he was hired by the Catholic Church. <laughs> he played in a Catholic church as his job. Um, and one day during the service, they announced, we are going to launch a refugee ministry. And so he said, anyone interested, come to this meeting. And so he went to the meeting and they were talking about the importance of refugee ministry, and wow, they, they got all organized. And, and in his heart, he's thinking, wow, I, he's feeling convicted that this is something he should do. And they did something for a little while, and then it just kind of petered out. And then he felt all the more convicted, Lord, I think you got them excited about it, just, just so I would know that that's what you're calling me to do. And so he continued, in fact, oh my, I don't know how many, he was able to help dozens of refugee families find, uh, he helped pick them up at the airport, prepare apartments for them to live in, um, he ended up discovering several Adventists and helping to, to launch a group. He worked with refugees from several language groups, and he's doing a tremendous work in Utica, New York. And uh, by this ministry, he helped Adventists and, and non-Adventists. I love what it says about Jesus. He did not ask about a person's 
rank or creed before he helped them. And just, just a word on motivation. When I was studying, I was thinking of studying to be a nurse. So at Union College, they sent nurses, you know, sent people from various occupations in for us as students to interview them about what work is really like in their occupation. And I interviewed a nurse, and she said, so what's your motivation for going into nursing? Um, and I said, well, I want to tell people about Jesus, and I want them to know about him. Well, she was not an Adventist nurse. <laughs> she was a nurse from the community, and, and she had an issue with that. She said, so that's the only reason you want to be a nurse, just to draw people into your religion? And so I thought and prayed a lot about that. Is it valid? Is it not valid? And I, I love the wisdom in Christ's method alone. Mingle among people as one who desires their good. And I think, I like what you, Pastor Ngaikin, had in your presentations. You underlined sincere friendship. And I think we need to examine our motives and say, Lord, what is my motive in wanting to help them? And if it is to um, get people into the church, <laughs> um, I, is it so that people will see what a good job I'm doing? Is it... But I, I think that we need to ask God to give us his heart of love for them so that no even if we spend our lives helping them and we don't see one soul come in to the church, we're still willing to help because Jesus helped and healed people who eventually cried, crucify him. And he prayed, Father, forgive them. Does that mean we should not share our faith and hope? I believe if we really care about people, we will care about giving them, helping them in the ways that will help them most for the longest period of time. So I believe the best thing we can do for a person is to introduce them to Jesus and help them to develop a personal relationship with Jesus. Because we know that if they are in tune with Jesus, Jesus will provide for them and they will end up with eternal life without all the problems and challenges and cross-cultural, <laughs> all, all the things they face here in this world. So, um, but I just, I believe that we need to pray every day, Lord, teach us to love as you love. And, and let God guide the pace at which we share the various things. Um, Another volunteer uh, is a young woman by the name of Kelly Weaver Zykowski. She had children in the local church school, and she happened to be on the church board, and one day they considered an application from a, Karen, a few Karen refugee families that wanted their children to come to our schools. Now, the Karen are, one, are the probably the largest uh, ethnic group other than the ethnic Burmese. Are there more Zomi or Karen in in, Burma, in Myanmar? Pastor uh, In Myanmar, you said Zomi are the second largest. The first... Oh, oh, as far as Adventist community. And the first largest is maybe Karen, right, yeah. Okay. Um, so these families were Karen. And Kelly thought, wow, never heard of Karen refugees before. And so she started visiting them, and she thought, wow, finances were an issue because these refugees don't, they are doing good to get entry-level jobs, and you know how hard it is for any of us to send our children to our schools. And so it's way beyond their reach, but they care about their children, and they really, those who have an Adventist background, really want their children to be in Adventist schools. And 
those, don't let me forget to tell you the, the story about Sang and San. Um, I want to finish, finish this one first, but don't let me get away for, without telling you how very important Advent, Adventist education is for refugees. Um, anyway, so Kelly thought, well, I wonder if there's a way to help them. So she started visiting them, and she, I guess she contacted the conference, and somehow God opened the way for her to be able to write, start writing grants. She discovered that in her state of Georgia, um, the government, there, there are private foundations that have provided funding, I think it's through the government, but, but not from the government, for, for, that can be used for private education. Um, some states have something like this in Milwaukee. Uh, the students tip, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the students typically get lower grades on their standardized tests. And so the government opened up what they call the Parental Choice Program. And so parents can apply for that assistance, and if they are approved, and a, a certain number of students can get government funding to attend the school of the parents' choice. And so we have uh, students funded in our schools. We have refugees who, refugee families that have moved to Milwaukee so their children can attend Adventist schools and they can afford it. Um, so there was a program similar to this that uh, Kelly found, discovered, and she went to it. She, it took lots of time. And she, she went to those refugees' homes. She invited them to have Adventist education. She helped them fill out the forms and make sure they had it right and make sure they um, got them submitted in on time. And last I knew, she had over 70 refugee young children and young people in Adventist schools. She wasn't all, she wasn't able to get scholarships immediately for all of them, but she kept working every year. She got a few more, and in the meantime, I remember she, she would call me and she'd say, well, Praise the Lord, we have this month covered. I'm not sure about next month. I need to raise this many thousand dollars for next month. It was huge, and it was, it was stressful for her at times. But she just kept going. She just couldn't bear the thought of any of these refugees not being able to attend our schools. In fact, one year, they had a certain number of refugees that were uh, approved to attend. And she saw one loving grandma bring her grandson that had not been approved. <laughs> had not gotten a scholarship and had not she had not been able to find a sponsor and grandma brought him when all the other children were getting on the school bus and she said and the little boy jumped on the school bus with the others and Kelly didn't have a heart to <laughs> tell him to get off and so she just prayed and and talked to people and <laughs> shared the needs and she found someone to sponsor him too and now some of these children are graduating. They're bright young people. They are getting excellent grades. The teachers, one teacher recorded a video. Of, oh, I should have prepared that for here, but telling how wonderful these refugee children are, how motivated they are to learn, and encouraging us to help refugees come to our schools. And now, Kelly, I don't, I don't know of anything she doesn't do. Anyone who wants to help refugees, she will find a way for them to help. She has involved 30 area churches in her own conference and surrounding conferences in the Atlanta area in helping refugees. She, academies have brought mission trips, and she has sponsored mission trips. She is doing a tremendous ministry, and it all started with 
finding out that there were some refugee students that wanted to attend the school. Um, another volunteer I would like to tell you about is the most prolific church, cross-cultural church planter in North America. But before I tell you his story, while I'm on the topic of, of Adventist education, when we were church planting in Sacramento, um, we had, uh, Pastor Sang said, 20 or 30 young people, and I mean enthusiastic young people. They would do anything, I and mean, they would sell corn and raise money to be able to go to camp meeting. We raised, what, $400 one, one day selling corn, <laughs> buying it <for laughs> in bulk and selling it in the apartment complexes. They would come regularly, faithfully to Bible studies, faithfully to church. They would do anything for God that you asked them to do. But we noticed that as, as they got into high school, just one by one, even some of the most dedicated, just somehow started to drift away. They'd come less often to our Bible studies and then be too busy to go to church, and they would just be gone. And their parents were Buddhists, so they didn't have the encouragement at home. And when we realized that it was at that stage between, you know, just after middle school, when they went into high school, they began to have, you know, career development classes, and, uh, of course, missions and pastoring wasn't one of the careers recommended in public school. <laughs> um, when we realized that, we thought, okay, who, who's, who's the, who are the next at risk? There were two, two young people, one who we had lost for, um, for a while and prayed we could find him and went to an apartment complex to pray for someone who was sick. And we saw this young man with a big smile peeking in the door the answer to our prayers, and so we were able to pick him up for the Bible studies after that. Anyway, we realized we had two young people that were just at that stage, just going into high school. One was a freshman, and the other was an eighth grader. We called him into our little apartment office and uh, said, would you be willing to take a faith venture with us? We believe that God has given you gifts that God needs in his work. And to do that, we believe you need an Adventist a Christian education. And we're, we're happy to help with all we can do. I, was, I had that job as a, was a part-time job as an employment service worker. And then later I worked. Uh, anyway, I said, we'll, you know, we'll help financially as much as we can. We don't have enough to cover everything. We'll help you find work. There'll be work on campus. Send them to Weimar. Uh, planning to send them to Weimar. And, and I said, beyond that, it'll be a faith venture. We'll pray that God will provide. When I was little, my parents didn't have enough money. They did everything they could, and the church pitched in and helped. And, it helped. and I said, I don't know how God will provide, but I just believe he will. <laughs> and it was easier to convince them than their Buddhist parents. <laughs> but eventually, their parents also agreed, and they went to Weimar. College. One is a fresh. Uh, one Weimar Academy. One is a freshman. One is a sophomore. One got a job in the printing press, and uh, when he finished, I was able to get him a a job in town at a pr printing press, and he became their main printer. Eventually, ended up um, going, you know, getting a four-year degree. He is now working at ADRA International in their IT department. The other young man, when he finished the academy, by the time he finished, he felt the call to share the gospel with his people, to dedicate his life to reaching his people. And, but his parents had other plans for him. They wanted him to be a doctor. He was their most loving son. He was the one where they, 
in whom they place their hopes. And as Buddhist leaders, Buddhist leaders in the religion combination of Buddhism, animism, they, the mother felt like, oh, I'm a failure. My son isn't even following in my footsteps. I mean, it's bad enough that he's become a Christian and now he wants to be a pastor. Oh, she was just heartbroken. And it just tumbled in on her. And by the time he, when he was packing to go for his freshman year, he just couldn't shake off the call. He was packing to go to school. And he went in to say goodbye to his mother and realized something was wrong. He saw some pills, a pill bottle. And I think she was shaking and he hugged her and he realized she had tried to commit suicide. Well, he shared it with the family and they blamed him for all this stress on their mother. You're killing our mom. They wouldn't they took her, they rushed her to the hospital. As I understand, it wouldn't even let him go along. He didn't know where she was. But he still couldn't shake off that call. And when we took him to apply next morning for college, all the other students were laughing and happy to see each other, but that was one heavy-hearted young man applying for pastoral ministry that morning. He finished as quick as he could and went back to try to find his mother. She survived. And I can tell you that when he became a pastor, eventually his, his mother and his father became Christians. He has a tremendous ministry, media ministry around the world for his language group. And he is sitting right here among us. Pastor saying. Amen. Now his parents are glad that he's a Christian. But if it weren't for Adventist education, do you know of, of those 20 or 30 young people Just what I needed. How did you know? <laughs> of those 20 or 30 young people, do you know how many are in the church today? Just those two. All of the others are gone. Caleb and Joshua. <laughs> These young people... If, if we don't provide an Adventist education for them, for in almost every case, we might as well say goodbye. Because trying to, they have a built-in disadvantage. They're trying to adapt to the new culture. And I found when I was in Thailand, when you're trying to adapt to a new culture, I found myself adapting, starting to adapt and listen to types of music that I never would have listened to in my culture. It's hard, it's hard to find your way, even as a committed Seventh-day Adventist Christian, to figure out where you stand cross-culturally. But for someone who's barely starting to learn about God, it's highly unlikely that they would be able to stand up at during the teenage years to the peer pressure at school when they're just learning to be Christians, especially if they don't come from Adventist homes. And even if they do come from Adventist homes, the educational system is so different in most other countries from what it is here that refugee parents, even committed Adventists, have, usually have no idea what kind of peer pressure, what their children are facing at school in terms of evolution. 
in terms of you know alternative lifestyles. <laughs> um, it's so hard. So one way you can help, even if you don't have refugees in your area, is to pray for and find ways to sponsor refugee young people in our schools. Um, I want to tell you about Fabian Reed. Fabian was a math teacher in Greensboro, North Carolina, and he noticed that he had some refugees from, some Bhutanese refugees coming to his classes. And he started visiting them in their homes, getting acquainted with them. He started inviting them to church. And eventually he found a place where they could worship, but, but he didn't speak the language, which I think most of us are in that boat, right? When I came back, I, I already spoke some of the language, and it made it way easier. Um, but he didn't speak any of the language. But that was a blessing in disguise because he found a promising, he found a, a bright young man to work as his translator. And this, as this young man translated, he had to take him with him everywhere he went. Otherwise, he <laughs> couldn't communicate. And so he took Bijou with him everywhere he went. And translating the message of salvation over and over again, translating for filling out forms and whatever they needed, he gained a valuable, tremendous experience in terms of translation, but also in a knowledge of the Bible and an understanding of how to work, how to care for people. He gained the respect of the people. And um, as the church, as it grew, um, he began to feel a conviction that he, you know, and so long story short, that church plant became the first Nepali-speaking Bhutanese refugee church plant in the North American division. And Bijou feels called the ministry to reach his people in North America. You may have heard me mention yesterday or the day before that this language group, the Nepali-speaking Bhutanese refugees, are the largest of largest, most open, but least reached language group in terms of new incoming refugees in the North American Division. So keep your eye out for Nepali-speaking Bhutanese refugees. Um, Bijou is now at Washington Adventist University studying to be a pastor. And which brings me to a resource that I would like to provide. You know where we talked about how refugees from these cultures, when they know the truth, can do a work we could not do? Um, let's read this together. God, in his providence, has brought men to our very doors and thrust them, as it were, into our arms that they may learn the truth and be qualified to do a work we could not do in getting the light before men of other tongues. There is so much wisdom in this. And this has guided the structure of, of our division-wide ministry we have taken this. God has miraculously helped us to find the most qualified church planters in North America for now 18, 19 language groups. Pastor Sang is, and many of them are volunteers at this point, but, um, but they are the ones who know how to plant churches among their people. They are experienced in planting churches. Um, and 
they are happy to guide us that don't know the languages. So, and Pastor Ngaijin is my key contact person for the Zomi. Because, and several of these language groups, when they come here, they always feel the need to, well, Mrs. Weiss is pressed together. <laughs> they feel the need to have fellowship and help their children to get to know each other, to realize that there are other children who believe like they do from their culture. Um, we all know that cross-cultural marriages aren't for everyone, even though I'm delightedly, I'm, I'm very happily married to um, someone not from my culture. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not for everyone. And so they, they long to have their children marry within the culture so that they can minister within the culture to others who don't know our message yet. And so they need to have events of the upcoming Zomi convention this next weekend, which this next weekend there's also a Lao camp meeting. And this, this provides fellowship for, these, um, for them to get together, affirm each other in the faith, share testimonies, um, and invite others to come in and really get to know God. Often these camp meetings are some of the best methods of evangelism. We have young people who, who never came to church, but when they heard there was going to be a camp meeting, they wanted to go, and their friends in the church invited them. They, they soon became members when they had a chance to, to mingle with, with our members. And so um, our church planting consultants helped to plan events like this, they travel to various places with scattered members and, and organized churches. They help with conflict resolution when there are cross-cultural conflicts. They, they serve as peacemakers. They are consultants, like the word, if you want to work with a language group but you don't know where to find them or how to get involved, you can call them. Or if you found some people from a certain culture, you can call one of our church planning consultants and they can give you resources. They are constantly developing resources, and they, they have resources you won't find anywhere else to help you work with, with these language groups. Um, yes? Hopefully, so there's completely different needs for previously Adventist immigrants and not Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Yes. Um, Christ method alone. We're just going to run through this real quickly. Okay, for people who are already Adventists, what we need to do is to provide a place, number one, provide a place of worship. Number two, empower their leader. And by empower, I mean give um, work through him. Um, one of the worst things that, you, that we can do is for us outside the culture to feel like we're the ones, we, we know the gospel, we're the ones that teach you. But if they're already Adventists from another country, they may be more Adventists than we are. <laughs> they really are dedicated. They have been through tribulation and kept their faith through the refugee camps. And so... Um, Trust these leaders and support them and visit them, encourage them, ask what their needs are, what their challenges are, and if possible, find uh, work with your local pastor and ask him to work with the conference to request, even if it's just a mileage reimbursement for his travel at first. But then help it help it to move on from there because um Finances are a real challenge for these self-sacrificing workers. And so you probably can't all of a sudden bang me put on a full-time salary, but find creative ways um, 
as a volunteer, ask what other expenses the conference might be able to cover. So by empowering the local workers, these are some of the things we, from with, if, you know, as the native culture here, can do. I can tell you refugees are very hesitant to ask for any favors. And they will not ask for, almost without exception, they will not ask for themselves. We need to ask for them. We don't want to turn them into self-seeking. <laughs> oh. We want to nurture that unselfishness. Um, show sympathy for the people. Minister to their needs. So the needs of the needs of people who are already Adventists are more in, in the line of helping them get driver's licenses, find land for community gardens, helping them fill out forms, helping them, and ask them what their needs are. They'll, they'll tell you. Um, and bid them follow me, encourage them to follow Jesus, to follow, you know, to follow their, their leader. Uh, and, but where we are needed almost more <laughs> is with cross-cultural ministry, we go in and mingle to make sure that that we do want what's best for them and that they can see that. We show sympathy, minister to their needs. Often they have some of the same needs um, in terms of physical needs, but win their confidence and bid them follow me with when we're working cross-culturally, do what Fabian Reed did. Look for bright young people, but also ask who their leaders are. Like my husband likes to say, it might be the old man in the corner, sitting in the back corner, dressed in rags, but um, and half his teeth out. But when he says go, everybody jumps, and when he says no, nobody moves. The, the people that look like leaders to us may be, not be the real leaders in these cultures. So let them tell you. Let them tell you what their needs are. Like the Bible says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. That's wonderful counsel for cross-cultural ministry. Um, and just a word I promised to say something about reaching Muslims. We as Adventists are in the best position to come close to Muslims and share, um, share our faith. Um, be careful not to do it as you know, I have the truth I want to teach you. They have a, a sweet spirit of submission that can enrich our experience with the Savior. We serve the same God, a little different understanding, but when you meet a Muslim, get to know them, ask them to tell you about their culture, their faith, and remember that the fact that we don't eat pork, the fact that we don't drink, the fact that we believe the world is going to end and we need to be ready. Um, we value submission to God. These are common ground. And um, I would like to give you some links. I will send you links. I'd like to give you Gab Gabriella Phillips' contact information. So. Since in Michigan, of, of any state in the, of any conference, Michigan has more Muslims than any other area. So I would like, I will make sure that we send you Gabby's contact information and if, if you've given us your email address. And, and in terms of, and I'll send you some links to, um, to help you find refugee resettlement organizations in your area, you can go to them and say, how can I come alongside you in welcoming refugees? You might even write that sentence down. The term come alongside is a good term. It means, you know, there's no problem with union of church and state. You know, it's not a legal <laughs> partnership. It's coming alongside them getting to know the refugees, coming alongside them to welcome refugees. And um, I will send you this link. 
that tells the main voluntary agency affiliates for refugees in each city. In Ann Arbor, it's Jewish Family Services. Of, uh, in Battle Creek, it's Lutheran Social Services. Uh, Grand Rapids, Bethany Christian Services. And that is an organization where we have an Adventist worker who is also a professor at Andrews, who is, they are actively working to place un, unaccompanied minors in, in Christian homes. So if you know anyone who would like, maybe you've seen it on the news, if you know any families who would like to welcome unaccompanied minors into their homes, ask me for Ingrid Slicker's contact information. But you can also contact Bethany and ask for Ingrid. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pastor Sang. Thank you, ASAP Ministries. That's a good motto. I love their name, ASAP, as soon as possible. <laughs> all right. Should we close with a word of prayer and thank the Lord for our time here together? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity that you've given each one of us. Thank you, Lord, for sending these faithful servants of yours here today uh, to be um, uh, learn of you and to be taught of you. And thank you for uh, Terry, for her leadership, for being here with us and give us guidance as we launching out to this uh, new um, ministry, the immigrant and uh, refugee ministries. There's so much needed here in North America. We pray, Father, that what we've learned, we will be able to put into practice. Give us the opportunity, open the doors for us, lead us to the people that you want us to minister to. Lord, open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to your spirit, to your guidance. Lead us, guide us. Lord, until we meet again tomorrow, may you continue to teach us this day what you want us to do from here on. And keep Terry safe as you travel home. Be with her in her ministry. Continue to bless her and strengthen her. Give her wisdom and guidance. And Lord, may, uh, may we all be found faithful when Jesus comes for, on the work that you've put into our hands to do here on this earth before we, you come. May we, may we do what we can to the best ability with the resources available to us. Thank you so much that we can be a part of this. Indeed, we don't, you don't need us, but you want us to be involved because you want to bless us in the process. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.